Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for January 21st, 2024. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have you. And I'm sure Catherine will be in any minute with our new setup. It runs a bit different. Um, there she is. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Here I am. Greetings from Atlanta. Yes. All right, excited about tonight's show. We previewed the Iowa caucus. It kind of went pretty close to what we expected, um, but it did impact the race in a big way. Um, I guess maybe the biggest surprise for me was, you know, Nikki Haley did finish third instead of second. Now, it was about a point difference. It was very negligible. But Ron DeSantis and his 99-county tour was able to get a distant second place instead of a distant third place. Um, Catherine, what was your biggest surprise of the Iowa caucus? That was my surprise. I really uh, didn't think that DeSantis would come in second. I thought he would come in third. So, uh, but as of, well, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But yeah, that was a yeah. surprise to me. Yeah, we'll, we'll get all these different things in. Tim, um, what was your biggest uh, surprise in the results? I think looking at the map of the state of Iowa with its 99 counties, only one of them was not carried Trump, and that was, I believe, where Iowa State University's located, and he just barely lost that county to Nikki Haley. Uh, he he mopped up in that state. Uh, at it, it wasn't a surprise to me that he, that he won the state, but. <laughs> the amount by which he won it was uh, pretty impressive, actually. Yes, um, I think we had all thought that would happen. The polls were showing that. It, it was, and you know, the media, obviously, if you're used to covering this thing as a horse race, you have to have a horse race. But there was just no horse race there. And, and really, there's still not. Um, but let's talk about who we've lost. Um, and we'll kind of go in chronological order. Um, and I want to say, I guess the, the night of the caucuses after he finished fourth, um, Vivek Ramaswamy dropped out, immediately endorsed Donald Trump. Um, Tim, um, I guess we all, we all sold Vivek way back when, um, you know, when we talked about that, but your thoughts on Vivek getting out of the race? Well, you know, it, I, I kind of thought he might hang around and stay for the whole ride. He just seemed like the type of guy that might do that. And boy, I'm hearing some loud banging. I apologize. Something dropped oh. on me. Gravity. Oh. Okay. dropped right next to the phone. And we have better sound quality. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> we do. Yeah, but I, I thought he might take the whole ride, guys. I. Just stay in there and see how many delegates he could get, and maybe a, a speaking spot at the convention. And uh, I guess he surprised me a little bit when he suddenly dropped out of the thing. Yeah, and obviously I don't know all the financial ins and outs of his campaign. Um, you know, because some people run campaigns for next to nothing, and some people – you're like that, that mo the old movie with uh, Richard Pryor, Brewster's Millions. You think they're running that campaign where you're just trying to spend money to spend money. Um, Catherine, um, your thoughts on uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and him getting out of the race? 
Yeah, I'm with Tim. I kind of thought he might hang around a little longer. It was pretty abrupt to just, you know, the night of the caucus, or was it the night or the next morning? So, uh, yeah, I thought he might have a little more uh, skin in the game, so to speak. Um, but, you know, like you said, who knows what the, what was going on behind the scenes and what, uh, you know, financial and other uh, implications were involved. So, Yeah, I, I mean, definitely so. And uh, let's continue on here. Um, you, you know, I, I think he's kind of the Andrew Yang of the race. He'll be around in some form for a while in the media. We'll see what he does with that. But I don't think it'll, you know, parlay into elective office anytime soon. Um, but let's talk about the next person to drop out. The person that actually has, you know, won statewide in Arkansas and yet ran behind some guy named Ryan. If y'all remember Ryan's last name. Um, who actually was leading Asa Hutchinson at one point. Asa Hutchinson dropped out after just a really, really abysmal showing just from start to finish of this campaign. Tim, I'll get your thoughts because you probably know Ryan's last name as well. Yeah, and no, I can't think of Ryan's <laughs> name. And uh, probably no, not much of anyone else can either unless they wrote an article about him. But uh uh, you know, Asa Hutchinson should have gotten out long, long, long before he did. He should have started. He when, when folks started dropping out before the first votes were cast, he should have gotten out then. I, he wasn't even able to make the uh, debate stage uh, for several of these debates. He didn't have a dime. He didn't. He didn't have anything going for him. And I, I would imagine a lot of people went to the caucus that night and didn't even know he was running. So, uh, it, you know, it's just another afterthought in presidential politics, guys. There's been a million of them over the years. Yes, uh, Catherine. I guess one of the more notable things was when he dropped out. Um, he actually endorsed Nikki Haley and warned against Donald Trump. Um, your thoughts on Asa Hutchinson and, and you know, his post-campaign move? Well, I'm glad he did that. That was brave of him to, you know, speak out against uh, Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, good on him. But I, I completely forgot that he was running. Just like Tim said, I, I he sort of, you know... Yes he made his announcement and then we never heard from him really again. So plus how old is he? <laughs> well, anyway, um, look, we, we can't even get into age anymore. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah. That that's a whole nother parties. thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was, I, I'm not surprised because I kind of, like I said, I kind of forgot he was running. Yeah, I, I will say something interesting, I guess, as a reminder. In the past, um, you know, right, right before the Iowa caucus, um, someone on the presidential, uh, the president's uh, media team kind of made light of how poorly Asa Hutchinson was showing in the polls. And that person apologized. The White House apologized the next day because apparently in the past, there's been pieces of legislation that Joe Biden and Asa Hutchinson have worked on together. And, uh, you know, President Biden just didn't take too kindly of it because when someone's worked across the aisle with Joe Biden, he remembers. 
and he he doesn't like it when you kind of you know make light of that person. So I thought that was kind of noteworthy. Um, I did want to make one more point of our guy Ryan that we're gonna have to learn his name because somebody brought up the point, and, and not to you know speed past all these other things we have coming up, but if this race gets down to Donald Trump and Ryan that we don't know the last name of, there's a decent chance that this guy gets a good number of delegates um, because he'll just be the default other choice. Uh, could become the second highest delegate getter in this race. Okay. Just his name is Ryan Binkley. Ryan Binkley. I mean, there is a chance that Ryan Binkley gets the second most delegates um, particularly, in, obviously, in states where it's not winner take all, if this race goes like, you know, many are predicting. And, and we'll get to that soon about, you know, where this race is going. So um, the last name to drop out, and it's almost like he didn't drop out after Iowa because he waited so long. He waited until today. Um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, um, it's, it was he the best funded? Republican candidate at points in this race uh, with his super PAC money. Um, you know, he did get a second place finish by about a percentage point, but he has dropped out of the race today. He immediately endorsed Donald Trump. Um, Catherine, your thoughts on the flame out of conservative super governor uh, Ron DeSantis doing so poorly? Well, um, he didn't do as poorly as I thought he would do in Iowa, but um, I mean, we kind of knew this was coming. He's just so unlikable and has not been doing well in polls and in, and has um, on the dais when he speaks. And so, I mean, that's not a surprise, but it's a welcome dropout to me. I'm glad he's out. Except now he can get up into all kinds of trouble in Florida again, because he'll be yeah. paying he'll be paying attention in Florida. So I guess that's bad. Yeah, the Flo- the people of Florida may not be as excited about that. Right. Uh, Ron DeSantis is is moved out of national politics for 2024 for the time being. Your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, basically, in recent days, his big donors just dried up. He was dead out of money uh, and and just had nowhere else to go. Uh, he was, uh, you, you've heard of the stages of grief when, you know, something traumatic happens in your life. And politicians have those too. It takes them a little while to get used to the fact that, that they're not going to win on the national stage when they've been winning everything in sight. Uh, you know, at, at the state level in a big state like him. But you can't go forward without any money. And he, he he put, we talked about this before, he put everything into Iowa. He personally went to all 99 counties. He had an organization second to none in that state. But for whatever reason, uh the, the voters just didn't like him. Uh, and, and looking back, he was trying to appeal to Donald Trump's voters. Well, Donald Trump's voters are for Donald Trump. And I think he's got it in his head that he can come back in 2028 and perhaps inherit 
Donald Trump spot. We'll see. Yeah, you're assuming Donald Trump would give up Donald Trump's spot in 2028. Well, uh, um, if Donald Trump gets elected this year, there ain't no way we won't need to well, worry about 2028. Well, no, to be honest I, with you. I think he shows up in 2028, even if he loses. I, I think he will lose. I mean, we'll get, I mean, we'll have to make a prediction this far out, but at this moment in time, um, and then he comes back um, thinking, hey, I can't beat Joe Biden, but I can beat the next person. Um, and then, of course, he'll claim everything's been stolen over and over again. Well, let's talk about one more storyline out of Iowa before we um, move into, I guess, you know, New Hampshire, because then we can discuss our other two folks besides Ryan Binkley that are still left in the race um, when, we pre- when we preview New Hampshire. But the turnout was low. And obviously the weather was not good, but the weather's been cold all over America, seemingly. I mean, there's pockets that aren't cold, but it's been pretty cold across the United States. And people in Iowa are used to it, and the turnout was still really, really bad. And people are saying that's an indicator of the enthusiasm for the Republican Party among its voters. Um, Tim, what do you take uh, is the reason for the low turnout? Well, uh, there could be a bunch of reasons. Number one, uh, the weather was just horrid there. I know people are used to bad weather, but that was bad weather on steroids. Uh, Secondly, I, I, I think there was this aura of a foregone conclusion going on. Uh and and third, among those that did turn out, Trump's people turned out. But uh, you know, he he won that those caucuses with fifty six thousand votes out of a state with what three million people or something like that in it. Uh, but we we have seen low turnouts in this race before, looking back over the years in two thousand, for instance. Low turnout because George Bush was expected to sweep them, which he did. Uh, that there just wasn't a, a very competitive race going on. I don't think the race for second place was the drawing card that they hoped it would be. Yeah, I don't know that anybody's going to watch the Olympics for the silver medal. I don't think anybody, you know, gets too excited for the, you know, second place. And so that seems like a weird dynamic as it is. But good news, Catherine. Um, We could move this thing to New Hampshire. And since we've gotten rid of all these candidates, we're down to, of course, Ryan Binkley, not to uh, discount him since we know his name now. But we have uh, former President Donald Trump. We have. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley is the not Donald Trump candidate. We have polls showing Donald Trump getting over 50 percent, but Nikki Haley in the 30s, um, closer than, you know, she finished in New Hampshire. I'm sorry, in Iowa. And New Hampshire is kind of seen as her big stand. It's where Chris Sununu, the governor has um, of New Hampshire, has endorsed her. Um, what do you think? I'll give you the first stab at um, what your thoughts are for the New Hampshire primary. Well, I think a lot's going to depend on the voters that are, um, uh, they're not, it's not independent. They're not registered as a Democrat or a Republican. And I think those are the voters that she's aiming for. 
And I think a lot's going to depend on turnout from those voters. Um, I think she'd be, if she can get in, I think she's in good shape. Uh, if she gets much under 40, 35, I think she, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. I think her donors and supporters are going to start to question whether she's got the um, wherewithal to make it the long, the full way. Tim, uh, your thoughts. I mean, how close does she have to get? Does she have to win? What's your thought on New Hampshire? Well, she really needs to win. Uh, but she she just must be close. I mean, if Trump wins handily in a state where the governor, a very popular governor, I might add, is openly campaigning with Nikki Haley, then you just about have to say game over. Now, we got two polls to look at, and one poll that excited everyone a couple of weeks ago, you know, had uh, Haley pulling within seven to Trump. We got a brand new poll out um, that has Trump up by 19. Uh, and if, if you break that poll down, Trump has now just about broke even with her in unaffiliated voters and she needed to win independent voters handily in order to win New Hampshire because uh, Trump has a huge lead among Republican voters. So she she has to win those voters big, but it doesn't look like she's going to do that. If Trump beats her by 20 or more, I'd she might go on, but yeah, here's the thing. She's in the thirties. Now, if she doesn't pit and Ron DeSantis, I think in that same poll is only 6%, right. 6%. And, 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 you know, you don't think that she's going to pick up all of his votes. I think she might pick up more than half and, and, and you know, and there may be some, you know, she might do a little bit better than undecided, but if she's still in the thirties, that means Donald Trump's probably over 60. Um, you know, and, and so that's just not a good place for her to be. But if she, yeah, go ahead, Tim. I, I was just going to uh, add there, David, uh, also in, in, in polling it showing that, that the DeSantis vote would be about a 50, 50 split between Trump and Haley. So a non-factor. Yeah. I mean, she needs a pair of touchdowns and she'd get a field goal. I mean, you know, putting in football terms. Um, so, Therefore, and the bigger problem is if she um, wins or loses close, she runs into South Carolina next. I guess Nevada comes up, and then all the momentum is just stopped if she loses her home state, which everything seems to point towards she will. And I guess the biggest indignity of all this was a former candidate, Tim Scott, who ran for president as well, um, who actually kind of criticized Donald Trump on the trail to a point. Um, and he was, most importantly, he was nominated for the U.S. Senate by then governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley. And yet he still came out this past week and endorsed Donald Trump over Nikki Haley. I mean, he could just sit on the sidelines. He actually got involved in this race at the most 
critical point for her campaign. Um, Catherine, how big of an indignity was this to um, Nikki, uh, Nikki Haley, would you say? I mean, it's politics. Like, I don't, I, I think, uh, you know, whenever that was that she nominated him, which was what, about six years ago? Probably. More than that, but yeah, More than I mean, that. it's closer to 10 even, yeah. Yeah, like that's, you know, history and politics. So I, I don't think it's, I'm sure that it was an insult. I'm sure she was surprised, um, unhappy about it, but I don't think that not surprising to me. He he picked his he picked the he picked his dog in the race, and that's what he did. So, yeah, um, Tim, your thoughts on this endorsement of um, Donald Trump by Tim Scott? Well, a little inside baseball here. It's come to light that uh, when Scott dropped out of the race himself, uh, Nikki Haley didn't reach out immediately to him uh, to either talk to him or seek his endorsement, which is a major mistake. Now, Trump's not the type to do that anyway. He loves for people to come crawling to him. And so I think she missed the small window of opportunity she had at the get-go. And secondly, 36 of the 49 Republican senators have now endorsed Donald Trump. We have to face something. This is Donald Trump's party. Here is the problem that Nikki Haley has with these guys not endorsing her. They know what we And that is that the Republicans who voted Cruz and uh, Marco Rubio and some of the other Republicans in 2016 when they were trying to stop Trump, those people are not voting Republican anymore. They're not there anymore. They're the Liz Cheney's and Adam Kinzinger's of the world. They're on the outside looking in. Uh, The average Republican voter now Trump starts with 80% of that vote. She, she, and, and, and these other senators and people know that there's a very brave few endorsing her, but nobody of Senator Scott's statue, statue. And, and, uh, what Catherine said was right. I mean, she, she, uh, you know, put his name forward way back in 2012 to be in the Senate. And uh, that's just <laughs> long ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it makes it sound like she did miss an opportunity to reach out. I mean, why not? I mean, you're calling donors, yep. you're calling folks. That phone call was definitely a good use of your time. And whatever she did with that, even if it took 30 minutes, was could have been far better spent on possibly not having this embarrassment going into New Hampshire. So uh, let's give our prediction on the Republican side. I kind of think it's Donald Trump plus or minus 60, and that kind of gives the prediction all the way down. Um, Catherine, do you think Donald Trump gets over 60% in New Hampshire? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, Tim? 
I, I think he's knocking on the door of it. I think he wins by at least 20 points. And if he does, I think it's game over whether the game ends or not. Yeah, I think uh, he gets over 60 as well. And honestly, then Nikki Haley, she could drop out and not face the indignity of having such a massive loss in her home state, the state that she served two terms as governor. Well, you know um, what? You know what she's trying to do, though, the long game here. She's trying somehow to get to Super Tuesday for multiple states votes, and maybe she could pick off a couple. But I don't even know how she does that, because going from South Carolina to Super Tuesday, you have to advertise in all of these states. You've got to have a lot of money and a lot of organization in all these states. I don't think she has that. So I don't... uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know why she's still there, unless we see a big surprise Tuesday night. I, I don't know either. I, I just this is pretty vexing. Um, well, let's do talk about the Democratic side very quickly, um, because when it came to Iowa, there was no Democratic caucus. In New Hampshire, there will be a Democratic primary, but Joe Biden, because of the new convention calendar, is not going to appear on the ballot. But a lot of, you know, good, faithful Democrats in New Hampshire have, um, you know, have mounted a write-in campaign. Um, and then Marianne Williamson and Dean Phillips will appear on the ballot. I'm not so sure if some of these other folks that just, you know, they're on a list of Ballotpedia or politicsone.com, if they'll be there too. But um, the write-in campaign has started to kind of, you know, get a little momentum. Catherine, um, your thoughts on with the writing campaign, does Joe Biden still win um, New Hampshire, even without appearing on the actual ballot? Yes. Tim? Yeah. Nobody's going to vote for those. I, 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 I think he does. And, and you know, I want to add, remember, I said this was a mistake to start with. I don't know what they were thinking about, but. But see, the president could have been up there this week and had TV time and rallies and all of that. This is just all a big mistake. Yeah, I, first, I do think he wins the writing campaign. I'll make my prediction, too. I know why they did it, but you could probably have split the baby on this one and said, Iowa's caucus has been a disaster. The last time was just an absolute fiasco and to this day i guess no one definitively knows who won i think pete Buttigieg won but with new hampshire it was a primary it was clean um it it was organized and so you could have kept new hampshire um further up in the calendar and not face that problem tim you want to interject well yeah iowa was not what i was talking about It, it it was the the democrats choosing to make South Carolina, their first primary instead of New Hampshire. I just thought that was absolute silliness for them to do that, to risk uh, alienating the voters in New Hampshire when they need those four electoral votes in November. Yeah, and I I will say this. Like I said, if if I had to pick one, because I do think it was kind of a package deal, but you could have split the package. I would have... um, Cut, cut Iowa loose and, and maybe not made this move on New Hampshire at this point. They did. The good news is there was a poll 
um, that showed there was a general election poll and it showed Joe Biden basically beating Donald Trump by the same margin as 2020 or 2020 in 2024. And I thought that somebody made an interesting point on that one. They said, you know, New Hampshire voters, because of this primary, are really dialed in. And if they are thinking that they're voting roughly the same way as they did four years ago, that votes well for the Biden campaign, not well for the Trump campaign. And there would be little to no blowback from this decision by the DNC. Um, Catherine, I'll let you have the last word on this. I, I'm, I'm of two minds about um, uh, and the South Carolina uh, primaries. The idea that New Hampshire is such a small and uh, not diverse state and that South Carolina is more diverse and larger, but uh, then, then you have to look at tradition and history and legacy. And so I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out, like how, how, uh, if it has any impact on the general, if we can determine if it has any impact on the general election and in, and voter enthusiasm in New Hampshire. I think that the, the um, jury's still out on the impact. We won't know for a while. Yes. Well, I mean, and we really won't know until November um, right. 2024 definitively. Um, but that poll was very interesting. Now, we talked all about this Iowa caucus, which in so many ways has been a big bunch of nothing and the, and the New Hampshire primaries, both of them may end up being a big bunch of nothing as well. But let's talk about a race this past week that I think was actually something. And that was the uh, special election in Florida. It was for a state house seat. And generally, um, you know, a special election for a state house seat. Um, you know, we're not going to get that excited about it. But this was in Florida, and I believe it was nested in the uh, district in the congressional district that Ron DeSantis um, represented. It was a seat where he won, by, I believe, 12 points. And if it was closer to 17, please correct me. I want to say that um, uh, th they won the Senate race by the same margin. I think Joe Biden may have actually carried this uh, state house seat, but it was a Republican held seat prior to this. And in this special election, the Democrat wins flips the seat, continuing this trend of Democrats overperforming in special elections, showing up more than Republicans. And if you've been around politics as long as the three of us have, you know that this was the exact kind of race that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, would have been a slam dunk for the Republicans because Democrats didn't show up for state how or from sorry for special elections. Tim, how important was this win and this continuing trend? Uh first of all, this is House District 35. It uh in to set it up two years ago, the Republican that held this seat, um, who who resigned to take a college president's job. He won by eleven points. Uh Tom Keene, who won the other night won the seat by three. So, so you know, it's 14-point swings. Now, the interesting thing is the breakdown of voters. 
we have been looking at races for Democrats over voting. That did not happen in this race. The breakdown of the vote was 44.2 Republican, 39.8 Democratic, and unaffiliated 16%. What happened here was that 70% of unaffiliated voters voted for King. There were two issues that drove the race. Abortion was one of them, but the big one was property insurance, which is sky, sky high in Florida. And the legislature this year chose to do nothing about it, saying they wanted to see if market forces would take care of it. And the voters, to be quite honest, were not happy about that, including in this race where they brought it up with the candidates constantly and they let the Republicans know about it. Yeah, and I think it it is important that candidates understand if you can get a hold of a local issue and drive it home, um, which that's actually kind of a statewide issue now in Florida, but all the weather. Um, but David, but David, seventy percent of unaffiliated yeah. voters broke with the Democrat. Hey, that's good. That's, <laughs> that's really yeah, good. That's why, I, that's why I pretend that this was a much more important result than those two supposedly national results. Catherine, how big a deal do you think this um, state house seat flip was? It's a very big deal. Um, it's a really good indicator of, of a couple things that independent voters are willing to, to vote for Democrats. That's, you know, it's good to see that. And that if you talk about the issues that matter to the people, it will get, they will respond in kind, right? If they, and, and I think a lot of our candidates don't do enough of that. I, I, I'm, a lot of them. And so uh, great indicators and good job on that. On uh, what was his name? Keen. Good Tom job. T- good job on, you know, running. Uh, sounds like a good campaign and uh, listening to the voters. That's, you know, how many times do we have to say it? We have to listen to the voters. Uh, so I think that's great news and uh, hopefully a good uh, indicator for the coming year, coming years. Yes. Well, let's talk about another special election that's coming up. And apparently this one's coming up real quickly because um, I guess uh, Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, believes in holding special elections quicker. Also, I guess it was seen as a flip opportunity her for her party. Um, you know, an opportunity, I'll say that, uh, not some slam dunk. And therefore, let's get it on the ballot where some Republicans recently have um, push these elections back um, when the district is kind of persuadable. But this is the special election district in the metro New York City area. I want to say it was in the Long Island area that George Santos was the representative of before he got turned out of Congress. And they're going to fill that seat. And um, a poll came out and it actually had two numbers. One number showed the Democrat Tom and I, I'll maul his name, Skazuzzi, I believe, uh, that had served in that district before, winning by a small margin, but the second number was any more, even more intriguing. And I will say this, and Tim, you pointed this out, the candidate that the Republicans um, recruited for that seat was more of a top-shelf candidate 
that mm. they've been getting a lot of places around the country. Go ahead and tell us about her. Well, Matsi Pillip is, is her name. She is an Israeli-American. She actually served in the Israeli army. Uh, uh, very, very obviously, uh, the Jewish vote in the New York metropolitan area is a huge thing. She is a first-rate, top-shelf candidate. And, of course, the former holder of the, of the seat, Tom Suozzi, uh, is is the very best candidate the Democrats should have could have gotten here. So uh, you got two A-list candidates running here, guys. You really do. Yeah, um, Catherine, um, you, 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 I guess you saw the poll I sent. It had the two numbers. We hadn't even really talked about the second one. Um, but uh, what is your thoughts on, you know, what you make of this race, your place, George Santos? Looks like it's going to be a late night when those votes come in. Mm. Yeah, well, well, then, and let's, let's, I think now's the time to jump in with that second number. And this goes to the larger point. They also asked, that was kind of like registered voters, you know, people they could get a hold of. Then they said, if you're very likely to vote, what's the margin? The Democratic candidate, the former congressman, Tom Scazzuzzi, his margin grows, um, I won't say exponentially, that makes it sound like it's like some kind of Donald Trump primary lead. It's not like that, but it becomes a much safer margin, and you're going, this is following a trend of Democrats turning out in special elections better than Republicans. Tim, what do you make of that second poll number? Uh, maybe name recognition. I mean, after all, he is the former congressman. So he is known district-wide, whereas she has held local office and is known more on a local level than he is. And the, the second thing here, it might be a blowback against Santos, who obviously had very, That's very true. low approvals. Now, here is the fly in the ointment, though. One little stat. President Biden's approval in this district is at 33%. How is that going to factor into this race on Election Day? But here's the question. What is Donald Trump's approval rating in this same district? Well, that's that's a good question. Uh, I guess the only way I know to answer it without knowing the actual answer is is that, you know, President Biden is the incumbent president. He's the sitting president right now. I don't even know if they did a, a part of the poll in which they tested Trump's approval. <clears throat> But but I do think that's important because I have, I have a sneaking feeling if you tested President Biden's approval rating in that Florida House seat, it wouldn't be numbers that he would, um, you know, put up on the wall and, and make a poster of either. Um, I, I think just that's just the, you know, symptom of modern day politics, uh, at least at this moment in time where approval ratings um, have gone down. You're just not going to see these 70, 80 percent approval ratings after a big event. Um because of you know like things may have been in the past Catherine I actually looked it up while we were talking 
51-37. That, that, that lead that was about three points when you ask very likely voters, it goes to a 14-point lead outside of the margin of error. Um, and I, I know this, this race is not going to be this week. It's still a few weeks off. But, but your just inclinations on this. Yeah, I guess it sounds better when we look at that. Uh, I think a lot is just going to depend on this go in the next two weeks, right? Like what happens with the international conflicts, what happens Trump and his, you know, it's, it's always up to the moment, right? But uh, it, it does sound much better when you look at those uh, likely voters. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you this, if Democrats win this one, and we'll have time to talk about it after it happens, there'll be another special election for a Republican-held seat um, in Ohio. Now, this is not a MAGA Republican that's going to take, I believe, another one of those college university jobs, and that race is coming up. Um, we don't have to preview it yet, but I think then we start looking at that race, and if this margin keeps narrowing and narrowing for the Republicans and Mike Johnson. Um, how big of concerns does he have, Tim? Well, he already has massive concerns. <laughs> he, just, he just doesn't have a working margin right now without getting some Democratic votes on anything because the Freedom Caucus, uh, I, I believe they're, they're against the sun rising tomorrow. I mean... <laughs> To go along with you on anything, and and so uh, he, he could be down to a one or two vote majority here shortly, and uh, but but d like I said, d does it really matter if it's if he's got four votes to play with or two votes to play with? I don't think he has any votes to play with. Yeah, and it's just going to get worse, and the fears are going to set in, and the Republicans are just going to start pointing more fingers. And, 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 you know, we'll get more time to really look deeper at that Ohio race. And I will say this. It is a much tougher lift than this uh, New York one that comes up first. Um, well, let's turn to, uh, I guess, kind of the first thing I sent y'all, um, but it wasn't, you know, previewing all these elections and whatnot. It was an article that was written that said to understand, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this title, to understand why Donald Trump's so popular with Republicans, you have to understand modern-day fandom. And, um, Catherine, I've seen these people at these rallies. I've seen these people buy all this merchandise for Donald Trump, and obviously that's not happening with Joe Biden. Catherine, Joe Biden seems to have voters. Uh, Donald Trump seems to have I mean, beyond fans, fanatics, if you will. Um, why do you think this dynamic has developed? Well, I think that article kind of lays it out pretty, um, pretty well uh, in talking about the approach that uh, Donald Trump had has about it. Is that he's calling himself as a celebrity more than a political. Even though he is, you know, running for office, he's presenting himself as a celebrity, um, whereas our the Democrats generally present themselves as running for office. Um, 
and people get worked up about it and then it it becomes a community of fans and so there's a lot enthusiasm on the ground because everybody's so excited about about um this about donald trump or whoever the candidate might be that is working this way so uh it was interesting to think about the difference and it but at the same time it was uh i don't want to say depressing but um yeah it was depressing to think that uh to think about our elected officials uh, approaching their candidacy in this um, is just, it's, it, it makes me that they're not being more authentic about, about being a leader and uh, governing rather than being a celebrity and uh, entertaining. Yes, Tim, I guess the thing when I saw this article I thought about was all of the swag, the merchandise. And a lot of times when we say swag, we think of the candidate producing these buttons and shirts. These things are produced by and large independent of the Trump campaign. They're everywhere in rural areas, um, really across America. But in our area, I mean you see these these flags that get hung outside of these houses and rural areas, um, people wearing the shirts and the hats and whatnot. Um, is that kind of the biggest thing here? Or is there even more to it with this fandom concept? It, it's part of it. I, I saw a story uh, here a while back on television about a fella and his wife that absolutely fanatical supporters of Trump. I believe it's over in the state of South Carolina. They purchased a church building. The church had moved to a bigger building and, and they bought it from the church. And, and you know, it was a good sized church auditorium seated five or 600 people. And they turned that into a Trump gear merchandise. They, they sell every kind of thing for Donald Trump. You could ever want in there. And you should have seen the inside of it. It was like this gigantic museum or shrine almost. Uh, it, it, they, they, the, the owners would speak in reverent tones when they talked about it. And it was, you know, to make it even more bizarre, it was in a former church building. Uh, but fandom applies to Trump, obviously, as he has a cult-like following. This is not anything new. And and they employ a lot of the same tactics that are that are tried and true during the rise of uh, the fascists in Italy, the National Socialist in uh, in in Germany, and 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 some others. Um, it, it's not genuine politics. It's a cult of personality, and the people get swept up in it because they're a group. And I really, really think that in modern times, the Internet, social media in particular, has helped to drive this thing because these people can reach out and find other people just like them. And so it, it, it has this self-perpetuating effect. Uh, 
but you know, there's no comparison to what's going on in the Republican Party right now and the Democratic Party, and, and these people that tries to say each side does this or that, that that that's rubbish. That that's nonsense. We have we've never ever seen anyone like Trump at the presidential level in this country. Not not even close. It. It's uh, it, it's amazing to watch, and it's really scary to watch too, isn't it, David? It, it is, and, and I guess that kind of gets into the next question, and this is something we don't have to have the answer to, uh, because unfortunately we got um, you know, ten months of this to, to to endure, and maybe longer with Donald Trump. Um, like I said, win or lose, um, but when he leaves the scene. My thinking is, you know, last time he got 70 million votes. So obviously he's getting the same Republicans that elect Brian Kemp and the same Republicans that elected Johnny Isaacson and elect Republicans in other places. I'm just using our state. But he's obviously getting a group of voters that really probably have never voted. I kind of have a funny feeling that if you looked and you found the people flying the Trump flag, with the really in-your-face shirts about either supporting Donald Trump or hating Joe Biden, that those folks probably didn't even participate in the 2000, the 2004, the 2008, or the 2012 election. So, Catherine, what happens to those voters when his cult of personality is gone? Oh, I mean, unless some... Someone else emerges that has the same firepower. Imagine happening. They go back to their, you know, pre-Trump lives, and you know they grumble a little bit more, maybe about what's happening. But we lose a lot of them as voters. Yeah, and to me, that then becomes the Republican Party. Um, you know really loses a big chunk, and that's probably why they're doing so poorly in special elections. These voters are not the kind of voters that are trained to vote and, and put everything on the calendar, particularly when their man, Donald Trump's not there. Uh, Tim, I'll give you the final word on this, and then we'll go to our last topic. Well, uh, the thing I want to stress here with this final word is this. When, when uh, movements, you know, in the past... Uh, were built around one person, they faded away like with Perot and with George Wallace when those candidates were gone. The problem here is that this movement has taken over one of our two major political parties. What are you going to do with all these MAGA people that are running the Republican Party even when Donald Trump exits the scene? I don't think they're going to go away. What's going to happen to the Republican Party? I don't really have a good answer for that at the moment. Yeah, I, and it's one we don't have to have an answer, but it is a dynamic that's in play in American politics in the near future. And it has been since uh, 2016. Well, the final topic, and this is kind of a big one too, but um, the Trump campaign for over four years ago, four years now, has decided that what they're going to hit Joe Biden on is his age, 
and how um, sharp he is compared to where he may have been or sharp he is, you know, now given that he's, you know, 80 years old. Um, and they've made this a big point. Well, if you are young and you are sharp as a tack, you might can use that as a dividing line. But increasingly during this campaign, Donald Trump, who is getting close to 80 years old himself, has been making gaff after gaff. He's uh, mixed up multiple times Joe Biden and Barack Obama. And then this past week, he mixed up Nancy Pelosi and Nikki Haley. I imagine he didn't make either of them happy when he did that. And there's other things he's done. And I think you can keep a list of them and you're beginning to go, hmm, that list is getting longer than the other list that you purport to be this winning campaign wedge strategy. Um, Catherine, your thoughts on these increasing, uh, you know, either verbal or mental gaffes by Donald Trump? Yeah, it's some of it's crazy, like that mistaking, you know, mixing up uh, former leader Pelosi and Nikki Haley and all this talk about magnets and like, all it's all like crazy. Um, I, I think it's a losing strategy. Uh, I think the best, I, I mean, I think we all know that when you have similarities in candidates, whether it's age or uh, family situations or whatever it might be, the best approach is to just leave it alone. Right. Like, don't talk about if your family's not in good, you know, if you have some sort of a dysfunctional family, your opponent's family, because they'll just come back to you. If you're almost 80, don't the guy that's 80. Uh, you have a difference, not a similarity. And I think that, that it's a losing strategy. It's it's a little bit frightening to hear him gaffes because he seems a lot see um i don't want to i don't want to say crazy because that's not a very descriptive word but uh confused and uh not really um running on all cylinders or something so it's a little <laughs> bit of it's a bit of a concern Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Catherine, you mentioned the magnet thing. And I know I sent y'all that. I don't know that we've discussed it. And I will definitely say it has not gotten the coverage um, in the media it should have. Because to me, this is one of those basic issues about understanding science that really divides the parties. Um, apparently, Donald Trump does not believe that magnets work when they get wet. He believes magnetic properties are lost when you get the magnet wet, um, he could take two magnets and a glass of water and test this theory out at home for himself. But apparently he's yet to use the most basic low level version of the scientific method, Tim. But Tim, I want to get to you with this, um, you know, this same, this same divide um, that, that he set up. How big a loser will this be for him? Well, it, it, with his own people 
he could talk utter gibberish, which, hey, is exactly what he's doing. And I don't think it would matter to them. He, he could be mentally diminished. It could be proven. But that also won't matter to them. Uh, his voters are going to vote for him. Uh, we have to outvote them. And that's where this might come in handy for us. The more the average person, especially the independent voters who could go either way, see this and think about it, the more they think, you know what, it's not a good idea to vote for this guy. It's not a good idea to set this election out. Let's get out and, and vote against this guy one more time, and maybe he's out of our lives once and for all. So what I think it might do is solidify opposition to him, where right now the polling shows that opposition although it's out there, it's kind of soft. It, it hasn't hardened yet into a voting uh, behemoth like we had in 2020. So, you know, that that's that's probably where we are. Donald Trump, anything he says or does is not going to matter to his supporters. It's the other people. Because we got to outvote them. That's what we got to do. Yeah, and that was another theory that apparently that with these polls that some people don't believe that this is going to be the matchup. And in New Hampshire, they believe this is going to be the matchup. And so they're um, looking at that, and that's why they responded to that poll in that way. But it just seems like such a, uh, you know, bad – it's like if you want to use this strategy about President Biden's age, you had to nominate someone younger. Um, right, you exactly. A guy that's, you know, a guy that's 80 that's in pretty good shape, and a guy that's like, what, 77 that's not been in as good a shape, they're kind of the same. I mean, you know, and so, you know, for whatever pluses and minuses, there's nothing there. And then also, you know, Joe Biden hasn't been making these same gaffes in the same way. Um, it's really just kind of maybe he speaks a little slower. But some of that is just because of his past history with stuttering. Um, so it's hard to tell anyway. So. Um, it just seems like a bad uh, miscalculation. But I will make this final point on this is I think the big difference is Donald Trump sees video of Joe Biden on TV and sees one thing. And when he looks at himself in the mirror or even watches replays of his own campaign rallies, he sees something different than is there. He's just not willing to you know, face uh, these mistakes he's made and, and either try to correct them or or just go to a new strategy and just say, we disagree with each other on these two, on these set of issues. Let's campaign on that because that's how elections are normally held. You, you have just policy disagreements and you vote on those. And that's where the ballgame is. Well, guys, uh, another good show. And by next week, when we come back, we'll know the um, results of the New Hampshire caucus. We may actually pretty much have our presidential lineup, um, the earliest. And I, I can't tell you when the uh, presidential field was set on both sides this early, if it were to be set um, before February's even started. Um, but until then, it's been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, Good night guys. Good night, everybody.